Texas, your truck and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and Ethan joining me from Pittsburgh Power. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, upgrades, modifications, horsepower, torque, electronics, emissions, troubleshooting, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to those questions in just a little bit. Bruce, Ethan, welcome back, guys. Oh, John's here with us, too. Thank you for having us. Yeah, all three of us are here. All right. Thank you for having us. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. So uh, I know you guys probably have some some things you want to talk about, uh, Bruce. You and I talked a little bit this morning, and you shared that picture with me of the uh, DD-15 piston that looked like it exploded. No, D-Deck 5. Oh, D-Deck 5. Okay, sorry. D-Deck 5. Yeah, D-Deck 5. Uh, he had a young man that worked at a truck dealership, came to him on the side and said, Ma'am, I can, uh, I can give you great power out of this truck. And the guy said, Go ahead. And he took the timing from 2 degrees advance to 15 degrees advance, and then he really cranked up the fuel was putting 700 and some horsepower to the ground on our dyno, but it broke the wrist pin, broke the piston, and broke the liner. He's very, very lucky that the piston stayed in the bore and didn't put the rod through the block. Half the wrist pin came out, half stayed in. So we were able to do an in-chassis and save this. And then Ethan put the timing back to two degrees where it's supposed to be. And we cut, I think, about 130 horsepower away from the engine. And his report to us is it's quieter, it's smoother, and it pulls better than it ever did. Because everybody wants to think, they're thinking like in the days of the hot rods, you know, when you had a normally aspirated 327 or 440, whatever, you would advance the timing. But once you turbocharge or supercharge an engine, you have to retard the timing when the boost comes on. So this advanced timing in this D-Deck 5 Detroit was actually making the engine work against itself. And the pictures are there. Yeah. The pictures are also coming out in the magazine articles, too. Yeah, it, uh, that so was pretty ugly. That's the, that's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem with... So many mechanics find out, and people that aren't mechanics, how to get into an ECM, and they start cranking fuel and advancing timing, and yeah, it feels like it runs better than it did when it was stocked, but it's not the proper way to make horsepower. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, nice lesson there. You want to, Ethan, you want to uh, elaborate on that with the... ECM tuning? Yeah, it, and it's 
it's not you know limited to the Cummins. Um, everybody's on that that gasoline thought for some reason there, um, but. You're better off to leave it alone if you don't know which way you want to go or what you're doing with it there. Because the manufacturers, got to give them credit for some a lot of stuff there. They spent a lot of time, you know, in investment running these engines on dynos, trying to figure out the optimal timing. Um, and a lot of times where people are adding, you know, from like the 2 degrees to 15 degrees, that, that's like the base timing. And then the ECM makes adjustments depending on the outside air temp, the intake air temp, you know, the barometric pressure, and just, you know, overall the sensor readings. So it can change, you know, it takes that two degrees number and then it adds, you know, or subtracts from it depending on what it wants to do based on outside conditions. Got it. So, you know, as these engines and ECMs and, and all of the components get more complicated, this becomes a bigger issue. You shouldn't be screwing around in there unless you really understand the entire system. That's correct. All right. And then we really see the end result when we put it on the dyno. And you can hear the difference and you can feel the difference when everything's right. Most of these people don't have a dyno. I mean, I worked for years without having a dyno. Right. And, Kevin, we have one other thing to discuss. Sure. It's that time of the year again, and the owner-operators are calling me, wanting to know where we're going snowmobiling. Where are you going this uh, year? And they've also, and they also said, you got to get Kevin and Lisa to come. <laughs> I said, you know, I think he's holding back because he knows the snowmobile I have for him to ride is very powerful, and... Um, Maybe he's concerned about having 165 horsepower underneath him. Bruce, come on. You know me better than that. That would be the biggest reason I would come. Yeah. Sounds like a challenge. That's exactly right. Yeah, that would be. That's why I said it that way. Yeah, that that would be the biggest reason I would come. Um, Who knows? Uh, You know, three owner operators already request your. You being at one of them, it'll be the last weekend in February and the last uh, last weekend in January and the last weekend in February. And I think one of them is going to be at Fairview, Utah, and we're not sure where the other one's going to be yet. You know, the last weekend in January somewhere in Utah, it's a possibility. Although this year, well, we'll see. I'm thinking about taking off this year and heading for warmer climates this winter, so... I don't know. Our schedule's just been crazy. And then the fires we had here in the evacuation kind of screwed a lot of stuff up. But we'll see. That's a ways out. Maybe I can plan for it this year. Okay. All right. I'm ready for questions. All right. Uh, John, um, anything new you've seen on any of the stuff you and I have been following lately? I've been just swamped with a bunch of other issues. You've been entertaining me on social media lately, I'll have you know. <laughs> That's what's been but, keeping uh, me busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You look like you've been busy with that. I, I haven't been. We've been uh, swamped in an interesting project here that I, I can't say a whole lot about. We signed an NDA, but we're uh, using all that equipment that we have in the back. We've got the engine dyno and all of our emissions testing equipment. To uh, We'll be using it to test some uh, additives that a chemical company is making for refineries. So it's not, it's not an aftermarket product. It's not a product that you're going to dump in your tank, but uh, something that's going to help uh, 
reduced NOx levels in um, in B20. So it's an interesting project, and uh, it's kind of had me a little bit busy, and I've been studying uh, more, more emission studying, and so I'm learning a lot of the chemistry of the emissions now and some other things. But I've been uh, kind of knee-deep in that for the past few days. I haven't done a whole lot uh, worked on the other projects since I returned from the show last week. Interesting. But, uh, that's what that's where I am right now. We have a Dorothy going on a pack car right now. Yeah, our first uh, manifold we finally completed for the pack car. It's a, it's a tricky installation. There's no uh, no plumbing on the EGR on the pack car, so it's all close coupled. So it goes straight from the cooler, which sits high on the right side of the engine, across the front of the engine through the uh, Delta P Venturi, and straight into the manifold. So we took a manifold and did some uh, careful machining of it and welded some pieces into uh, to intercept the EGR flow and put it out the front of the manifold, uh, pointed to the left, and then we close coupled the, uh, the the Dorothy right to it. We built a, a saddle that we welded to it as well that uh, makes it all one unit. So the uh, the Dorothy's kind of integrated with the manifold, and then it returns the uh, the cleaned EGR back into the top of the manifold. We built our own little Venturi tube to do that. So that should be running tomorrow. We'll probably have it on the dyno tomorrow sometime, see how it does. Interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of in the same point right here. I've got about three or four different projects going on, but nothing I'm far enough along to talk too much about yet. So uh, this could be one of those days where we just answer a lot of questions. Sounds good. All right, let's do that. Let's get started. Let's, uh, we'll start off in Utah. John, welcome to the program. Oh, hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. What's on your mind today? Looks like I've got an oil sample in front of me, and uh, wow. Um, let me try to get some. It, it's uh, looks like a fourth grader got a hold of a bunch of different colored markers on this one. That's always scary. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's an ISX. What year? That's a sixteen. Boy, I am baffled. Um, got Rotella T5, a 10W30, but that, what do, do you know which API classification this oil is? No, I don't. Kevin, I'm, okay. I don't have the jugs with me. I don't even have the truck with me. I'm in my other truck, so okay. I'm Hold- positive. Hold that thought. We're going to come back right after the break. This is uh, this is an odd oil sample, but we'll talk about it right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're talking with John in Utah about an oil sample. Uh, John and John, um, this is one of the most unusual oil samples I've seen. And I'll bet it's going to come down to some sort of an issue with the newer engines and the newer oils. Um, It'd be nice if I knew which API this was. Um, This isn't one of the modern APIs. I'm I'm looking it up right now. I don't have the actual specification in front of me. That's a semi-synthetic 1030. So that's not one of the new... um, It's not not a CK4? It's not a... No. Okay. Kevin, what looks bad on the sample? Okay, so let me just go through the whole sample because I'm confused. Fuel dilution is 0.0. I almost never see that. Soot is 0.3. So... The, the base oil itself, from those two perspectives, looks excellent. Viscosity is at 13.8, which is pretty high for a 1030, but I don't see any reason why it would be high. The base is almost gone, 1.4 on the base. The oxidation is slightly elevated, but here's where the, the problem looks bad. The lead is at 206, and we have copper at 22. That's a shot bearing. I mean, we've got, yeah, you've got a shot bearing. Yeah. We've got uh, things spun a bearing. We've got chromium that went up and iron that jumped up to sixty-one. I know you've got eighty-six thousand miles on this oil, but um, the problem actually started to show up on the last sample. The viscosity jumped way up on the last sample. The base went way down, and that's when the lead and the iron bulls showed up. And then this sample, it just all went to hell. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. I think the last time I called um, on, you know, that last sample, I was also talking with you guys about it. I've got that Spinner 2 system on there, the oil bypass system. Yes. And I had mentioned to you guys how ever since I put that on there, I put that system on there at 215,000 miles, I think. And the truck before that, that first 215,000 miles I've had it since it was new, it never used a drop of oil. As soon as I put that system on there, it would start using oil like every 5,000 miles I'd have to put a gallon in it. And Bruce mentioned he said you know i should take and make sure that it's getting you know oil into the spinner and returning it and then take the centrifuge thing apart and all that and i did all that and it's getting oil and it's returning it fine and it had probably oh maybe a quarter of inch of soot and stuff in it so i changed that all out this time when i took the sample and then like i say i just i was just in at the yard the other day and was able to do that and i just took off thinking you know everything's fine and dandy and, and now i get this oil sample yesterday that's like holy smokes what is going on with that thing i think if i were you i'd be changing the oil oh well okay absolutely yeah, I, figured I would when i get back <laughs> yeah you know i i, I like uh, the i like the spinner as supplemental filtration but i don't like the spinner for extending drain intervals I mean, I, I think you need a true bypass okay. filter if you're going to extend drains. Okay. The All spinner right. is great, so. great on iron and silica and yeah. also uh, soot. 
and that's what we always find. But every time we use it, we use it in conjunction with a another bypass oil filter and had phenomenal results. Yeah, yep. And if you could get that truck here to our shop, I think we should do an engine flush on it. Hey guys, would you? Man, I, I won't I, be able to. I, I mean, two oh six. How many Latin, miles are on it? Uh, there's three oh two on the engine and about eighty seven on the soil. With two oh six lead and twenty two okay. copper, wouldn't you guys recommend inspecting the bearings? I got to look at bearings yes. on that. Yeah. Well, if you couple that, Kevin, with the oxidation and the base number falling, you're going to see uh, that oil got hot at some point. Yeah, which is kind of indicative of a a bearing failure. So yeah, you had a bearing that got red hot somewhere in there. That's what it sounds like. Um, okay. I would, yeah, I'd be careful. I'd be careful even driving it. Wow. All right. Yeah. See, I'm clear over on the west coast, and then I run from like Washington to Alaska. So, oh, when I get back, I guess I'll have to take it to a shop somewhere and well, I, have I, to take a peek at it, huh? I wouldn't wait till you get back. I mean, I'd have somebody. I, be, I'm with. Be careful with it. Give it. Give it a good listen. Yeah. Okay. So don't. Uh, yeah, be careful with it. Well, it's sitting. I mean, it's sitting in Washington. Oh, okay. It's not okay. even running. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When, yeah, as long as you're not, not in I, my I, other truck. So yeah. I'm, well, um, gotcha. good. Okay. Good, good luck with that one. You know, one good thing, guys. Here, here is a great reason why you should be oil sampling. That's right. Without the sample, you wouldn't know. And John, I'm with you. I think that bearing's probably going to fail. If something got hot, if you look at the the indicators being the oxidation in particular, and the uh, you know with so a synthetic blend is actually going to be more resistant to oxidation than a than a mineral oil. Um, yeah, and if it's it's that high, that's a, that's that's a that's a that's a serious red flag. What color? What color do they have it flagged? Uh, it was a level four, the most severe. Was it okay? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the, there's a and the level something something got red hot in there and failed. The level four was from the lead being over two hundred. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's go to. Engine, oop. Go ahead, Bruce. That engine's a prime candidate for a Dorothy. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. All those ISXs are completely yeah. agree on that one. Let's. Uh, Let's go look at a little better oil sample than that one. Mark in Texas, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Good afternoon, Bruce, Ethan, and John. Um, let me give you a little history on this vehicle. Uh, bought it used this year. Bone stock, uh, 2014 T680 with a 13 ISX 15. That first oil sample is... Uh, Still bone stock uh, on a, it was Shell Rotella T4 oil. And then uh, in July, at that oil change, I changed to the synthetic. I went with uh, fleet air filter, OPS, FAST, and a Pittsburgh Power remote tune. Uh, prior to everything, I didn't have any issues whatsoever as far as uh, codes coming up or anything like that. After all of this, I started getting codes, uh, came back, had uh, the remote look at it, and they said to replace uh, pressure sensor, manifold pressure sensor, temp sensor, which we did. 
uh, still had the problem after that. Stopped by Pittsburgh Power. Uh, they looked at it. Uh, same thing. Uh, map sensor, temp sensor, they said was bad. Said it's common for those to go out uh, regularly. Um, been driving it a few months. Uh, oh, they also recommended a, a wiring harness, which we haven't done. The problem, the problem happens when under load trying to climb a hill or anything like that and if the rpms fall to a certain range i'll get a d rate um and it oddly enough it never derates even if i go the full duration it it never actually actually derates it gives me the you know the code and that's it and then you shut the truck off for a while it goes away everything's fine uh but it'll happen just about every single time under a load if I let the RPMs drop below 1,400. Um, and as far as the oil sample, I I don't know if I should be concerned about the iron and chromium or not. Uh, well, let me let me enough about let me numbers. address that real quick because that one might be fairly simple, and then I'll let the guys uh, talk about the other issues. Um, how long has the fleet air filter been in there prior to this sample? Everything, every okay. When I did the oil change, I did everything at one time. So after that fleet air filter, so back in July was was put on at the oil, yeah, at the oil change, and I've actually okay. uh, cleaned it one time since then. That that's what I was wondering. I have a feeling you didn't get enough oil on it where you didn't get it completely oiled the the way it should be. The silicon jumped up to 14. That's not horrible, but any time we see silicon go over 10, you can start to get excessive wear metals. Silicon is extremely abrasive, and your iron did jump up almost double what it should have been. So I, I would get the... Uh, it I, went I, triple, actually. Over triple on the well, iron. No, I, I don't mean... Triple I, on the I mean double what I would like to see it. At 26,000 miles on the oil, oh. if the iron was at 26, that wouldn't be a big deal. You're at 46. So that's kind of what I was referring to. Hold that thought. We'll come back and we'll talk about that and more right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Kevin Rutherford, this is the Power Hour.
and what? Welcome back. Drum oil. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're going to go back to Mark in Texas. So, Mark, I'll finish up, and then I'll let those guys address. Um, I, I would inspect the air filter, the intake, make sure the seal is, is matching properly, make sure the, the wraps don't have any tears and they're on correctly, and I would re-oil it. The silicon isn't horrible, but it's starting to climb, and I'm pretty sure that's what causes the, is causing the wear metals on this one. Okay, yeah. Now, I, a quick question. The, the fleet filters from the factory, they're pre-oiled. Is that correct? Yeah, that's why I asked you if you had, because I really have never seen one not no, oiled No, and I properly. have, I, have I, I, I bought another wrap, and I oiled the heck out of it, and I changed it about a month ago. Then you, you might want to uh, look, you so might want to really inspect the intake for some other problem then. We're, we're getting dirt in this, this engine from somewhere. Okay. All right. And everything else looks good on the oil sample? Yeah, oil sample looks great. I mean, other than that, and those two were, you know, okay. the silicon's a little high and we have wear metals. Those two, that makes sense. So, But everything else looks oh, great. The, the, right. the engine is running really okay. well. I mean, we don't have any fuel dilution. We have very, very low soot. The engine is running and performing really well. We're just getting some dirt in somewhere. Right, right. Okay. What is what is the silicon number? Uh, it's 14, Bruce. 14? Yeah, okay. And Ethan's familiar with this truck, and he wants to say something. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember the exact code. Um, you'd have to refresh my memory on that, but I do remember well, that I have one, a, I one have of the a, one of the codes was one oh two and the code that's coming up now is three twenty five. Yeah, and I have the uh the wiring harness for your truck here if I'm if my memory serves me right, it's still sitting on the shelf over in the, the parts department. Yeah. Yeah, it's the one for the DPF can. It, go, it runs between the SDR, the DPF, and the module back there. And right. they, they, they right. heat soak. And you can sit there, and it, it's one of the interesting things I've come across. You can multimeter it out, ohm the wires out, and check to see if you can see the problem, and especially when they're inter- intermittent. Uh, we've seen this a lot. And you won't see the well, problem I mean, with the I, multimeter. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call the problem intermittent because it does it under a load climbing a hill when the rpms drop if i'm in 13 start going up a hill if i let the rpms you know drop below 14 um it'll set that it'll set that code off the d-rate and you know Hmm. uh, or if i'm making a long pull or something it'll do it as well but i mean it's it's consistent in that manner i mean it's not it won't ever do it just driving around with no load. It, you know, it, it, it's always when I go to make a pull. Every, I mean, like clockwork. It also happens to be when the wiring harness is getting heat soaked the most. Well, it could be. Does it uh, do this here regardless of altitude? Do you have to be above a certain altitude before it has the problem, or is it uh, consistent with no. the load regardless of altitude? It, regardless of altitude. I've okay. done it. Okay. Right. In Colorado, I've done it in Texas. Uh, right, know, right, I got I'm you. At. Yep. Yep. Well, we might well, have to. But it, run, it runs here. great. Yeah. It, it runs great, though, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Until and, you get and, to the D-rate. 
Well, no, even at the D rate, like I said, it never actually D rates. I was under uh, a load and it went to D rate and it went to three hours. It went to two hours. It went to one hour, went to 15 minutes. And I was like, I got to go, you know, I'm just going to, if I break down, I break down and it finally went to zero and it did not D rate. I just kept going. Hmm. I mean, no, no loss of anything. It never actually D rated. But it threw up those codes, 102 and 325. And, I mean, there's like 125 count of the code 325, and it was in excess of 100 on the code 102 as well. well and let us know when you can get in here. Let's get that wiring harness changed and then uh, clear these codes and see what's going on. Okay. So you still think the harness is, is a culprit? I mean, it, it very well could be. That's a, that's what my memory's telling me there. Um, afterwards, uh-huh. I wrote down what the codes are. I'll be able to go look them up. Okay. All right. Well, in uh, front of me. I will uh, work my way towards you all here in the next couple of weeks, and we'll see if we can't figure it out. All right. Sounds Fantastic. good. Thank you. Hey. Hey guys, I've got a. Uh, I want to run something by you. So the the pictures you guys sent me of the the DD five piston, I, I posted them um, on Facebook. I, I want to read you this response because this guy obviously can see a whole lot more than I can in the pictures. Um, it says in response to these pictures, looks like the cylinder was already having issues due to injection problems anyway. Then a wrist pin. Imagine an injector failing or a wire harness failure. That is hell on a cylinder in the first place. That alone can cause damage to a cylinder by dry firing, hence the cross-hatching almost gone on this liner. Does that comment make much sense at all? Seems like he's all over the place. Well, why would dry firing take the crosshatch off but we know that this the way this is broken is a result of the fast timing now it did run a couple hundred thousand miles with the fast timing so it wasn't an immediate failure right right um could could uh two wires coming together and the injector gets the signal at the wrong time and it fires yeah that could be too. Did we ever see that, Ethan, on a D deck five? In this case, there was no codes for any wiring issues on the ECM because the ECMs are very sensitive to like a wiring issue on, on any of the D, any of the new engines. So anytime that the wires would short together or open circuit, the ECM it, most of the time will shut that cylinder off anyway, especially if it thinks it's in a dangerous condition. Got it. All right. I, I just thought that Those comment was kind of all over the place. Well, that's what I thought. I, I couldn't see all that. Seems to me like he was reading a lot into that, that issue. And it is a high-mileage engine, so. Well, yeah, so you would expect some of that anyway. That could very well be worn, you know. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, I, uh, I'll have to take a closer look at that picture. Maybe he was able to magnify it enough that he could see that crosshatch. That's good. Yeah, let's uh, let's get to another call. Let's go to Texas. Thomas, welcome to the program. 
Hey, man. How y'all doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Well, I got a 2012 Freightliner Cascadia. It's got the uh, stretch frame on it. It was set up for flat for uh, flatbed, specialized heavy haul such. Um, I bought it for $28,000, and I cannot seem to get more than six gallons, well, six miles to the gallon, bopped out. If I got a trailer on, it doesn't matter if I have 9,000 pounds or 40,000 pounds. I'll get anywhere between 5.3 to 5.5. She'll go uphill like there's nobody's business, and she runs great. It's just burns a crap ton of fuel. I got a DD-15. It's got 550,000 miles on the Eaton 13 speed, and at 70 miles an hour, I'm sitting right at 1,500 RPM. Any idea what I can do to get some uh, better fuel economy out of this thing? What's the given? How many pound of boost does it take? Is that where you're running? Is it seventy? Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, I I run seventy downhill. I mean, generally speaking, I'll run anywhere between sixty sixty five miles an hour. I mean, I'm not in that big a rush to get there. Okay. On the level, how many pound of boost is it taking? About nine. That's good. What what weight rear ends do you have? Are they forty six thousand, forty thousand? Uh, they're they're forty thousand pound rear ends. Forty thousand. Yeah. And your gear ratio is? Uh, that I don't know. What I can tell you is I'm running twenty two fives. What's what's the? You know how to figure that out. What's the history on this truck? How long have you had it? Uh, I've had it for about 11 months or so. And as, um, it, it, I'm the third owner. Has the fuel economy been this bad since you've had it? Yes. Now, I'm, I was thinking it might have had something to do with the last guy because he was a specialized heavy haul driver. That's what he did. Let me, uh, let, let me get to a break. We'll come right back. We'll try to dive into this one a little deeper. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're down to the final segment. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. We were talking with, uh-oh, let me, Thomas in Texas. There he is, Thomas. Um, so let's try to figure out some gear ratios on this thing. When you're, when you are going 70, since we, we started on that number, um, what is the RPM? It's dead on 1,500. I mean, without a digital tack, I can't tell yeah, you that's precisely, fine. but that right. needle is floating right over the 1,500. That's fine. That, that's not a gearing problem then. I mean, it, the gearing may not be absolutely what we'd like no. to see, but it's certainly not enough to cause this kind of fuel economy. What? what it, do you track every tank? Uh, I do. Okay. So, like, and And... Even even on the weeks when I don't, like, say, say I have some downtime and I end up idling, my fuel economy only drops, like, three to four tenths yeah. on the tank. You know, I mean, idling... It's not that bad. You, you hardly ever hear me talk about idling these days. A lot of these engines idle so efficiently that the idle hardly impacts the overall fuel economy. Um, so I don't see that as the problem either. What, you threw out a couple numbers. What would you say the uh, like a true thirty day average on the fuel economy is? Uh, about five point nine, five point eight, somewhere in there. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think we're going to come up with anything really obvious on the phone. I, I think this is one you're, you're going to have to get it in and, and just start looking at stuff. Do you, anybody else have now, any other I ideas? I can tell you, I have, replaced the, I, I have replaced the motor harness and the uh, EGR valve and the EGR valve cooler. I've replaced all three of those. Okay. And that helped because when I first got the truck, it was going like 4.7. I, get, I might get 5.6 bobtailed. And then I replaced all that, and it came up, you know, to where I was running at five point ish, how, and then bobtailing a little over six. How many miles are on it right now? Uh, five hundred fifty thousand nine hundred sixty-four. Are you doing? Flat. You doing any oil analysis? Uh, not yet. Um, I've been wanting to find out how I can send an oil analysis off. And more importantly, who do I trust? Because, I mean, there's there's so many different places, and just about all of them have those tabletop analyzers. Yeah, don't, and I remember the show you did not too long ago saying that they, have a t- they have a bench top. Don't trust it. Yeah, don't even, don't even do it. Um, do you trust me? Right. I do. Then, I listen to you. Yeah, every that, chance I get. Sometimes you, my schedule doesn't let me because I'm sleeping. But you yeah, know. you you can buy the oil sample right in our store. That's the Polaris Lab, the lab that we partner with and use. We absolutely believe in the quality of their results. They we've been working with them for years. So you just buy the sample uh, kit, take okay. it, mail it back, and then when you call in, then we have the results right here. You don't even have to do anything. That's why you hear us reading the oil sample results oh, nice. all the time. Yeah, yeah. so you, you just send right. it in, and then you call. And when you call back, uh, Lisa or Bridget, whoever is call screening, just pulls up the records for me, and we'll go over the sample. Here's what I think, okay. and I'll let 
you know, if you guys have anything else. I think this is a truck we just need to start at the beginning. Make sure the overhead's set right. Make sure we don't have a charger cooler leaking. Look at an oil sample to see if we've got, you know, fuel or soot or something that looks like it's, it's really out of tune. Um, and then I think we just go through the truck, fix anything that could be a problem causing this, and then look at some modifications and some tweaks. I, I don't see any reason why if we, don't, if we just start from the beginning and work through that process, we couldn't get this up to a seven, seven and a half mile per gallon truck. One other thing. On the, I yeah. would like to see it put on a dyno and actually run and see what the horsepower is. He had mentioned the seven hundred. Uh, seven, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not seven hundred. It's uh, four hundred and sixty-eight. Okay, it's so you have you have had it on the dyno. Yeah, that was the okay. first thing I did when I got it to see if I had any serious powertrain issues. Good, because the yeah, truck I, I had before big... this had a transmission problem, and it, and it the guy told me if I dynoed it then then the power to the ground wouldn't have been anywhere near what it was supposed to be and I would have known immediately there was a drivetrain issue. So when I got this one, first thing I did was went and had it dynoed after I had it be serviced. Okay, that, that, that also kind of narrows down the possibility that the, the previous owner has had the ECM program by somebody um, and just to make sure it wasn't making some sort of massive horsepower. Right. Um, one other question I had, I remember a segment you did probably about a year ago on HHO generators yeah. and how they don't really increase your fuel economy because it just drags down on the alternator. Well, that was one issue. Now, my question to that is, right, um, now, now, what about the particulates? Could I extend the life of my one box by putting one of these on to get rid of the soot? Well, it, I kind of doubt one it. Of the, I, one of the claims is that it burns it all. Yeah, well, the, if if their claims were true, we would see increased fuel economy. I, I've never tested for particulates. I've tested many, many times for fuel economy. We see virtually no change. I I don't think it's worth the cost of these to begin with if that's what we're trying to do is get soot out. And, and the Dorothy um, would be a far better option. What's a Dorothy? That's our uh, our soot separator that goes in the EGR. So we eliminate some of the okay. soot from the EGR flow before it goes into the engine, and thus we eliminate some on its way down to the one box as well. So you oh. actually oh, uh, that's like the soot trap on the uh, uh, that aftermarket soot trap for the ISX. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That works great on a DD15 or what, what engine was yours again? Yeah, it's a DD15. Right? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, it works great on the DD15 as well. Yep. Yeah, actually, it's an easier installation as well on the DD15. And what would one of those uh, set me back, more or less? I I haven't got the price on the installation kit for that yet. Some the installation kit itself will be somewhere in the neighborhood of four hundred dollars, and the the Dorothy the unit itself the separator is another nine twenty five. So we're nine twenty five for the separator, and then we're about about four hundred bucks for the installation. So you should be done, okay. you know, with everything for under five fifteen hundred bucks if you come here and have it installed. I'm not ready to ship those kits yet. Um, we're missing uh, and being that far along with it, but uh, we we don't have kits ready to right. to mail out just yet. Uh, we're still building jigs and kind of onesie twosies here. Every every time we get one in, <laughs> it's a different application, so it's a little little different right. uh, each time we do it. 
So, uh, but if you want to bring it in, that's a, it's a pretty easy installation on the DD15, and uh, you know, we've seen some trucks have had better results than others. We're we're not, uh, you know, some of the new new ones uh, are running pretty clean on their own. Uh, it seems that once they get a few miles on them, is when they really start making a difference. Uh, we'll fill right. the canister up on the bottom of a half million mile ISX in about twenty five thousand miles. So, oh, wow, uh, you know, but you'll see a whole lot cleaner. Uh, your uh, oil samples will be much cleaner. Uh, you have less soot in the oil samples. You have less soot making its way into the intake, and the cleaner CO two seems to affect combustion as well. So you, you get benefits of the the clean CO two in the EGR to help uh, clean up the uh, the emissions as well. So you'll see fewer regens, and it'll be a little easier on your one box. Okay. And as, as, as far as the, DP, go ahead. There's a there's a 30% decrease in DEF fluid consumption. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because I run through a tank of DEF on this thing about every two days, two three days. And that would extend that another day or two. Okay. Um, and do y'all have any? input on the uh lucas diesel deep plane i've heard great stuff about it and i heard a couple of guys say it trashed their uh regen system so before i went and got any of it i figured i'd call and ask we haven't tried it but uh the last time i worked a seminar with forrest lucas he told me that if he can't make the very best of a product he won't make it at all so I don't think he would make something that would hurt it. He has his own fleet of trucks, and I'm sure they've tested it uh, uh, on his own trucks. So I would Bruce, be careful of the naysayers on that and, and go with what Lucas says. You know, Bruce, here's here's another thing on that comment, um, and this just applies to a lot of things. One guy puts something in the truck, does something to the truck, and then... A week later, a day later, an hour later, a problem occurs. It's human nature to try to connect the two. But do you know, you know, I'm talking to the rest of the people, how much testing and research you would have to do to know that that was the reason your your regen system was trashed? I mean, uh, it would take a whole lot more digging to know for sure. I'm 99% positive it wasn't that... And I'm not even a big additive fan. People know that from me. But I'm pretty sure that wasn't what trashed the regen system. That's all the time we've got for this show. We will do it again real soon. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining me. This is the Power Hour. Thanks to the guys from Pittsburgh Power. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work. Master the Journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, we are going to get started on a second hour here. Uh, Let me see, because I think we lost Ethan and John somewhere. Um, Let me see if we can get them back before we get started. Let me see. 
Hey, Bruce, before we get started, do you know what happened to Ethan and John? Uh, Ethan just said, are you back on, Ethan? They're on. Okay, let me find. Oh, there they are. All right, I see him now. I'm connecting him right now. Yep, I see him. We'll get started. Here we go. See him. Your truck and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and Ethan and John with me from Pittsburgh Power. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, horsepower, torque, troubleshooting, electronics, emissions, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. I'm going to bring the guys back in with me, Bruce Ethan, John, welcome back, guys. Thank you for having us. Hi, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. All right. So uh, some interesting calls on our last show. Um, I don't know if we have anything we want to start with, anything we want to wrap up, or do we want to get to some phone calls? In the fellow with the four fuel mileage on the DD-15, it would really be to his advantage to get that in here. Let's get it on a dyno and let Ethan look at what's going on with that truck and getting a Dorothy on there. Yeah, I agree. This this truck needs to, we just need to start from scratch on this. You know, do an oil sample, check the overhead, test right. the charger cooler, get it on the dyno. I'm sure we'll find a couple things that could be fixed. And then it, it might just be a, a matter of tweaking and some modifications. You know, there's uh, everybody uses the term. I had heavy haul programs put in my ECM. Well, this truck was a heavy haul truck, and maybe people had been in there. He is the third owner of it, and there's yeah. a reason for that. And so maybe we need to take it back to stock and then work up from there. Good point. All right, let's, uh, we've got all kinds of questions on the line today, so let's get right to it. We are uh, going to start off in Arkansas. Ronnie, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. I called y'all a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about the glider or emissions truck, and uh, I think it was Ethan that said something about it, which really made me think about getting a uh, leaning more towards a glider but now my question is if i go into a uh, a builder who builds gliders and say hey i want everything y'all have but your engine and i want pittsburgh power to, to build the engine are they going to frown upon this or have y'all done this before and then what is the process when i get ready to go do i need to talk to both parties the builder and y'all of course pittsburgh or they're going to do the builder will call y'all, and and what will you get when you if you build an engine? Is it you, you're going to be able to? Would I be able to get an engine like I want 550 horse to the ground, 
and will y'all program the, the engine too with the ECM come with it? Uh, can you kind of explain a little bit how that would work if you've done it before? Yes, we have done it before. Yes, the ECM will come with it. Yes, it will be set at the horsepower that you want. It will be a signature engine. Yes, we have a guy out on Route 22 east of us that can build the truck in one week. He's set up as an assembly line, and uh, there is absolutely no problems. Okay. And what I'm looking at is the 579P. Is that Would that be an issue, or, or does that guy build the 579 also, or... Does Peterbilt offer the 579 as a glider? Oh, there's only one of them I know that does. That's I why mean, I'm Peter wondering Bilt, if it would be an issue. As long as Peterbilt offer the 579. Right. As long as Peterbilt yes, offers yes, it as a kit, uh, yeah. Vince Gerald. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, I know, like I said, I've only known one that that's uh, Vince Gerald that offers the 579. I mean, I haven't got that deep into it but i know they offer it right. i don't know if they would frown if i told them hey i want y'all's truck but i want pittsburgh's engine and if do y'all do the warranty on the engine or is it just yes. or how do how would that work we do the warranty on it and then and then you have the warranty if it's caterpillar on caterpillars parts detroit and cummins you have their warranty uh if you want to do it with fitzgerald let me know first and i'll give uh Tommy Sr. call, and he and I will talk about it. Okay. I just, spoke, okay. I just spoke to him two days ago. I don't think there's any problems. But uh, think okay. about this fellow that we have that's been building them for us. He does a great job, and he's about two hours from us, and uh, that would be another good source. Our shop's okay. been very, well, very busy, so we it's uh, almost impossible for us to build one now. Oh, it wouldn't be now. I mean, I have a truck now I'm running, so, uh, but definitely want y'all's engine. And, uh, and that's, y'all pretty much answer everything as far as the ECM and all that coming with it. Uh, that's, what's, that's great. What's your engine of choice? What's your engine of choice? The Detroit. It would be the Detroit okay. 60 series. The 12.7 or the 14? The, the 12.7. All right. And what do you haul, and what territory do you mostly run? Oh, run all the way from Texas to uh, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania to Minnesota, Minnesota, back down to Texas, uh, 80,000 okay. drive van. Okay, that's a good choice. But uh, whenever you get closer to it, let's talk about the uh, gentleman that we have just east of us here. So it would be a good idea to call you all first and, uh, yes. and get that going. Okay. All right. Sounds good. I appreciate it, guys. You're quite welcome. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's see. We're going to head off to uh, Texas. John, welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you guys for taking my call. I have uh, have some uh, questions. I'm looking at a 1996 Freightliner cab. Um, Yeah, I see that. I want. I want to hey. know. I, I got some pros and cons about it. Um, it's a single axle. It's got an N14 with 477,000 miles on it. It's N14 plus with a Eaton 10 speed. Um, 
they uh, they only want forty five hundred for it, and it's in rough condition. I got uh, it, it has a low pressure light on. Uh, the the voltage gauge doesn't work, or it doesn't it's not staying charged. I'm not sure which one. It's a single axle. Uh, marker lights don't work on it. Rear seal is blown on let, the passenger hold, side. Hold, hold, hold on, on hold on, hold on. Has a slow hold, leak. Hold on. Let, let's not go through all that little stuff because that you could find that kind of stuff on a brand new truck. It, that's all really, really minor stuff. Let, let's look at the big picture first. Okay. What are you going to do with this truck? That would be my other question. I, I had option. They also have a like a little twenty-eight foot pup with a with a lift gate and a reefer for sale also um they said they'd sell the whole thing for 75 wait 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 um, stop but i'm stop. not sure if i were to go into something like that or not stop because i i, I want to there was a reason i asked that question what are, what are you planning on doing as a business before we look at the truck what, what kind of operation are you trying to run I don't have that part figured out yet. I'm just There's, looking at a truck. I'm, d- I'm, don't, a, I'm a company don't, driver now. Don't look at trucks first. That, that's the that's okay. completely backwards. The, the two trucks you just mentioned to me, I'm not sure what the hell I would go do with either one of them. Now, had you told me, I, you know, I, I run a, a lightweight, you know, drop or a flatbed and I'm going to haul campers or, you know, I've already got this contract. Well, then that single axle cab over could make sense. But to buy a truck like that, that has has such a limited use, um, would be insane. There's almost, there's very little you're going to do in the industry with that truck. The other truck, other than expediting, I have no idea what you would do with that one. Um, so you, you're, you've got the trailer in front of the truck or the cart in front of the horse. You need to design your business first. This is a mistake I see all the time. People like trucks, so they go out and they buy a truck, and then they look around and go, okay, what do I do now? Well, you got to design your business first. Here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm feeling really generous today. I, I have a program that I wrote that helps people get started in the industry because, honestly, right now, you're not even to the point where you're asking good questions yet. So it, it, there's not a whole lot I can help you with other, other than saying stop what you're doing. Don't buy a truck. Don't spend any money. The program that I wrote, it's a, a physical program. It's got video you can listen or watch. It's got audio you can listen to while you're driving. It's got workbooks. It's got check sheets. We normally charge $250 for this program, and it's worth 10 times that we sell a ton of them i'm going to give you one today oh thank you you need to go through this program fantastic when you are done with the program you will then have better questions and we can get started we're not even to the point where i could really help you get started yet so i'm glad you called that was a good thing um and i'm glad you asked the wrong question because now it's got us on the right track So I'm going to put you back on hold. I'll have Bridget pick up. We'll get your information. We'll get that program sent right out to you. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're going to get right back to some phone calls. We are off to Arizona. Leo, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. Um, I have a question on um, the thermostats. I ordered uh, the thermostat from uh, Pittsburgh Power for a Detroit Series 60, uh, the uh, 12.7 liter. What is the, or what it should the normal temperature be on those since um, it's looking off on, on, on mine now? All right. It takes 16 degrees to fully open a thermostat. So if it's a 180, it fully opens at 196. If it's a 190, it fully opens at 206. So what, what temperature range did you ask for? Uh, it's supposed to be the one for 180. Uh, okay. I don't know what. And what's your temperature running, you guys? But well, uh, at nighttime, between 84 and 94 degrees uh, on the outside temperature, I've been running about 127 to 152 degrees. <clears throat> at idle oh, or yeah. at, in daytime, in daytime, it's 78 to 91 degrees. I'm running 112 to 125. At idle, um, they told me to change the uh, possibly the uh, sensor because that could be off, uh, which I well. did. But it's the only difference between that one and the old one that I changed is that I don't see the the temperature fluctuating uh, from real high to low. It basically, you know, stays in that range. Did you put a new seal in it that the thermostat rides in? Yes. And is the seal in As a matter of fact, as well, that's that's a good question, I guess. That's what I was going to ask if uh, somehow I might have uh, done something wrong when I put those thermostats in there. Because the first time that I did it, I ended up with a small leak at the thermostat housing. And I ended up taking it apart again, and I made sure it was clean again. And I actually put a small uh, uh, bead of uh, of that gasket maker, and I don't have that problem anymore. So, but, I, but there's there a seal that sits down inside. There's a seal that sits down inside the thermostat housing, and something's telling me that that seal is not in there, or it's got knocked okay. out of place. That's what I'm thinking is going on because you are running way too cold. Yeah. So, so how would I go thermostat. about getting just those seals? Do I have to buy the whole uh, thing? You, you could probably stop at Freightliner or Detroit and just uh-huh. pick up a thermostat seal. I'd, I'd get a couple of them because they can be a little touchy getting into the right spot. And years ago, if you didn't have the installing tool, I saw people use an aerosol can, like a spray can for paint, and I think that was uh-huh. about the same diameter of that seal, and they were using that to drive it in. Here we have the regular seal installer that we use. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I wasn't told that I needed some kind of special tool on that as far as that goes. So that does have to uh, sit first on that... Uh, on that rim, the uh, seal, and then you put the That's thermostat correct. on top of that. Okay. Right. 
And does the thermostat itself go through that, uh, eventually go through that seal, or does it just sit on top of that uh, ring seal? No, no, it goes through it, and that, it rides, that seal rides on the thermostat. Okay. Yeah, because the second time the second time I, I did it, I actually put that seal through the uh, on the thermostat, and then I dropped it in there. Oh, uh, no, that won't do that. You can't get the seal in then. So that's the problem. Okay. Your seal's not down against the lip. What I want you to do is call here. You have you have our phone number, and ask for yeah. Brian. He's the shop foreman, okay. and Brian can tell you. Tell him I told you to call. I'm Bruce, and if you wait till after the show, I'll tell him that you're going to be calling, and he'll tell you how to drive okay. that seal into place. All right. You might you might have to stop and pick up a new seal though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to New York. Bruce, welcome to the program. Hey, Brooks. Yep. It's yeah, Kevin. I got a good, what's up? Got a question for you guys. Okay. I got a 1996 FLD with two 280 rears. And I got a 10-speed transmission in there. Well, I want to go, right now I'm running heavy and fast. And I want to do a little bit better in the hills. Okay. Should I go? Um, transmission is getting ready to go. I was looking at the 18-speed. Would that work with my rears? Well, it will. But I, I, I think... That'll work with you. What... Um what kind of operation? Is this normal 80,000 pounds and under? Yeah, yes. All right. The first thing bit, to do, the rear, the rear ends aren't the, okay, the rear ends aren't the problem, and the transmission's not the problem. Whether you go to a 10 direct or you go to a double over 18 or 13, with that rear, you're going to basically be running in direct gear. But we need to give the engine some performance. We need to look at the manifold and the turbo and the ECM programming or the power box. And let's bring the horsepower up to into the 600s on the engine, and then your problem is solved. So yeah. It's not a gearing issue. It's a low power out of the engine. Yeah, you've actually got good gears. This is what we recommend. But if if the transmission was fine, I would say leave your 10-speed alone. If it's failing then this is a great time. I would go to a 13. On, on anything under 80,000 pounds, normal weights, not true heavy haul, I just don't see the need for an 18. They're heavier, they're expensive. You, you're almost never going to split the gears in the bottom end. And even on a 13 speed, when you've got enough horsepower, which is what Bruce is talking about, really about the only gears you end up splitting are the last couple. Now, with a 13-speed, you're going to end up running this truck in 11th most of the time. That's your direct gear. You would have 12th as a, a really nice overdrive, and 13th would be almost useless. But that would give you the, the, the best ability to split a gear when you want to and the best fuel economy and the best performance. And with the horsepower upgrade, you'll feel like you're in a new truck. Okay, okay. All right. All right, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look in. So, so I should keep, because this 10-speed is fairly cheap to rebuild. 
It's the Rockwell. You know, I I, I like it. You know, I've had a lot of trucks with ten speeds. At thirteen, gives you a little more flexibility, but with the kind of performance Bruce can get out of an engine, it's not always critical to have that half a gear to split. If you've got enough horsepower and torque, um, you know, a ten-speed direct might be a great transmission in this. If you, if you like the yeah, ten speed and it's yeah. economical to build, rebuild your ten speed. Yeah, but get the truck over to our shop and let's make it run right. Yeah, you're. Ge- right. you're I've been delaying with that. I've been. Okay. Your gearing's excellent. This is the kind of gearing we actually recommend. So the only question really is, you know, you could save some money just rebuilding your ten speed. Then you know what you have. Um, yeah, it's nice to have a 13, and if, if we absolutely had to replace the transmission, I'd say, yeah, get a 13. But rebuilding your own, you know what you have. You're not buying a used transmission, um, so you could save yourself some money, take the money you saved, put it into the performance upgrades. You'll hardly miss the 13 speed with those kind of performance upgrades, and you're going to get much better fuel economy. All right. Well, that's what I'm going to do. All right. I got to come see Bruce them and rebuild my tent. There, I like it. There you go. Nice. All right. Sometimes the best solution is the simple solution. So we like that. Let's, uh, hey, oh, there they are. They're back. All right, guys, we lost you again. I see you now. Welcome back. John, Ethan, are you there? That may happen again for some reason. You got us? Yeah. Hello? Yep. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, good. If we drop out again, we're we're talking to you via the Internet uh, with Skype. So if uh, our Internet goes down, it uh, you lose us. And yeah. For some reason. Okay. You know, the uh, I, I love the voice over IP Skype kind of stuff when we do this because the, the quality is, is better. I mean, it, it you get a, a much better sound quality, but... Sometimes you got to deal. We've been dealing with the internet problems out here since the fire, so hopefully they're going to get better. There's the music. I've got to get to a break. We will come right back in just a minute with more stuff. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Hey, John, I know you like all these kind of uh, technology gadgets. Speaking of uh, voice over IP and quality, I'm looking at a box to go in my studio right now. It's a couple thousand dollars, but I wire it into my audio here in the studio, and then it generates a link. I could send that link to you. You open the link on your smartphone, and it creates a voice over IP connection back into my studio. gone we're gone again oh, technology no. speed. Oh. john ethan we can oh, wait, hear i heard him for a second yeah we there? we can hear you guys john ethan nope no all right we're gonna have to cut them off because oh. we oh let's try that again john oh. ethan you, you got us yeah we're back yeah we've been able to hear you okay yeah we so. we Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, you you <laughs> dropped us, or we couldn't hear you when blank on our end uh, while while we were talking about the wonderful technology. Now, <laughs> got it. All right. So so you probably didn't hear me talk about the technology piece just now. You have a little box you're going to attach to your yeah. in your studio there that I'll get a link to my smart device and be able to connect to somehow. Yeah, and the connection is voice over IP, so it, it's a really high qu- – it's not a phone connection, so you don't get that tinny phone sound. You get a really nice – you know, and, and a lot of the smartphones, you can plug in a pretty decent uh, mic to, right to the phone these days, and you can almost get studio quality from a oh, phone. I can't hear you again. All right. Going to have to cut you guys loose. Um, Bruce, looks like uh, it's you and I to finish things up. Okay. They're having some... uh, Why don't we have uh, Bridget call these guys on their cell phone? uh, We could probably do that. Let me... uh, Bridget, let me see if she's listening. She probably is. She's not on the phone. Bridget, if you could, um, try to call John and Ethan on the cell phone. We've got to get back to some calls because we are here live here. We're going to go to Texas. Victor, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you? Good. What can we help you with today? Hello, sir. Um, I picked up a Schneider glider uh, at the beginning of 2015, and I've been having some wonky electric problems with it, and nobody wants to touch uh, electronics in the truck. It's hard to chase it out. I understand there's 10 million wires in the truck. Um, Sometimes it runs nice and clean for me, but then when it starts to act up, I see so much cab lights will be dim. Uh, I'll see a short where when my turn signals are on, my dome light will flat will dim when when they flash. Uh, I have stuff like one of my headlight connectors wants to get real hot and melt. The harness going into my air conditioning unit, uh, the dryer there, that'll get real hot and melt. And they put a new switch on, they put a new harness on, but it's not addressing the underlying problem of what's back feeding into my chassis, what's back feeding into my dash controls. And I'm wondering, can, can Pittsburgh Power help me out here? What would it cost to get somebody into this truck and figure out, you know, what, what, why am I getting wonky electronics on all my accessories? Oh, you're not. You can't hear. But you can't talk. All right, you heard it. Did you guys hear me? Hey. Yep, yep, we did. Sending me a cell phone here. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's going to be something that we're going to have to, you know, sit down and take a thorough look over. Uh, 
sure. check to make sure that everything is correct. All the start basics, make sure everything's grounded correctly, that you're not getting a ground that's jumping in and out, because uh, that can cause a lot of funny things to happen. I suspect that's what's happening. Is it's very, it's very intermittent. It doesn't do it all the time, but it does it very often, and it's getting it worse and worse. I'm finding more systems affected. Yeah, and one thing you can do before you even bring it here is you know, go to a, a local auto parts store and get yourself some heavy-duty cable, you know, wire, some sort of like battery cable, and put uh-huh. a ground from your, your, your battery to your chassis and then from your chassis to your cab. Uh, this way you know that everything is grounded to the one central ground. Okay. And then that's something that you can do on your own there just to see if that helps out a, a lot. Um, you can even inspect all your grounds, too, and you know, give them a little tug. Um, remember, they're bouncing up and down the road, so you, you don't have to just pull on them lightly, but don't yank on them. Okay, yeah, I have a friend told me, you know, get your grounds cleaned. That would be the first step, and I understand that. But I, I have a suspicion that this is going through my dashboard somewhere because it's all the systems that yeah. have got a switch or a knob on the dash. Yeah, and if you're not getting a good ground from the chassis to your, you know, to the frame... In terms of the cab to the uh-huh. chassis there, it can cause all kind of funny things to happen. We've had that happen where the, the wire falls off in the shop, and all of a sudden all the gauges are doing all kinds of stuff. I've had that happen, too. I, I one particular day where my gauges just all went blank. Uh, the truck ran fine. It doesn't actually interrupt the, the engine operation at all. But um, and, and that was like one day in three years. But like I said, I, just, I can't put my finger on it. I'm not mechanically inclined. But uh, nobody wants to seem to take care of it for you know address it. Yeah, and it's hard to give you a time frame on that, uh, being that it can go many different directions. Does it help if if uh, I, I add a little anecdote? I was talking to a guy from Maverick, and they used to run a bunch of these Columbias out of Little Rock, and he told me that um, the, the thing is a little susceptible to some water coming down and getting into the panel on the left side by the, uh, I guess there's a big relay uh, yes. next to the, yeah. Um, so I just, I, but like I said, I looked in there. I didn't see any, any sign of arcing or shorting. Um, but again, I wasn't going to fool with it, not be, you know, and, and end up with a truck that didn't run at all because I, I thought I'd be ambitious. Yeah, you could take a look in there. You may not see arcing, but you're looking for a lot of that, that awesome green corrosion that forms whenever you put water and electric together. Um, so sure. keep an eye out for that. But, um, yeah, it would have to be something that the windshield, make sure it's sealed. Uh, I see we see lots of trucks in here that the water is getting past the windshield. But curiously enough, uh, I, did have, I didn't have the greatest seal, and I just got two, two new windshields last week. So I'm hoping that that's going to... If that was a uh, contributing factor, that'll be taken care of at least. Uh, can I ask you one more question on another topic? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Did you do the uh, Pittsburgh Power Tune? Um, it, does that come with a, a lifetime reinstall? With the uh, you know, if, if I take this to a Freightliner somewhere and they decide to mess with my ECM, can can I come back and get it re, uh, reprogrammed correctly? If we want to call the Pittsburgh uh, system correct. We typically, at most, we will charge an hour labor because I, I back it all up here. Um, so, you know, at worst, it'll be an hour's labor to put it back in. Okay, because um, it, it's a fairly pricey. Uh, Which charge for your license, right? It, it's about fifteen hundred bucks. Uh, what 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 engine do you have there? I missed that part when I was my headset was it's a, not working there. 
Oh, sorry, it's at twelve seven Detroit and a Schneider Glider. Yeah, they, yeah, we started. It's it's fourteen fifty for the tune, and then you know we see that a lot where you go in because you know sometimes you break down along the road, you have to go there. Um, even if you tell them don't touch it, they do it anyway sometimes. So yeah, it'll be at worst there uh, an hour labor. All right, sounds like a winner. Let's head off to Ohio. Joe, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin, Mr. Positive. Hey there, before what's up? Before we get to my technical question, I got it. Well, before we get to my technical question, I got a couple of thoughts that I'm really positive about. Today. Okay. Last night, I am positive that I wasted seven minutes of my time watching a guy in a cowboy hat make a video that I thought was the most full of manure person I've ever heard of. <laughs> I, I. Next thing is, I'm positive. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm ju- I'm just real positive that that showed me and confirmed that you and Lisa are a genuine article, are a real class act, and it shows in your dedication to us individuals and your staff is wonderful beyond compare. And I just wanted to express my admiration, appreciation, and support for you and what you and your staff does. Well, thank you. You know, I, I, I realize I'm extremely opinionated. It's why I don't typically get involved with groups. I, I just I really don't play well with others. Um, I get that. I know that about myself. So I don't try anymore. I, I don't try to work in groups or committees because I get frustrated. Um, but but I love debate when it's when it's open and honest, and we don't do the name calling and the. So we invited the guy on the show. I, it, the first interaction before I even knew who he was, he went off on social media about how I trashed him, and we wouldn't. I was afraid to have him on the show. I didn't even know who the guy was. So we reached out and said, "Look, you want to come on the show and talk about this? Come on." We gave him multiple invitations. We even said we would do a special recording to fit his schedule. And that video was his response. So clearly he's too busy changing the industry to come talk to me. Um, There's the music. We're going to get to a break. We're going to come right back and get to more of your calls right after this. Um, And Joe, we're coming right back to you, so don't go anywhere. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got the guys from Pittsburgh Power with me. We're going to get right back to your phone calls. We are off to Ohio. Joe, go ahead. Okay, I'll start with what I need is a baseline of information. How often should the air dryer purge itself on a normal operation? If everything's working right. Um, well, it, it purges itself, you know, when it's at pressure. So you've got to start looking at a lot of things. You've got to start looking at the air dryer itself, the governor, the the uh, compressor. I mean, just in general, I'll let... Uh, who do we have uh, on from Pittsburgh Power right now? I know we're having some technical issues. Bruce. Bruce. Did you hear the question on the air dryer? Sounds like he's got one purging too often. I, right, right. And I'm, gosh, uh, you know, you hear them purging, and you know when it is too often because it keeps doing it every time the air compressor cycles, and it's not supposed to do that. But I am not an expert on that field, so I would have to refer him to somebody at Bendix. Yeah, I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I would, um, I don't know if I would go by a time. If you feel like that it's purging too often, um, I think I would just inspect the the entire system, starting at the compressor, the governor, and the dryer. Okay, we've replaced the governor. Okay, it's. Uh, indicator line, the, the quarter inch line, it does not leak all the way back to the air dryer. The air dryer was put on shortly after I bought the truck in October and uh, a few days ago we also replaced the desiccant canister because it was over overdue I think. Anyway it still wants to dump air about every 15-20 seconds. It's driving that's, me crazy. That's, yeah, that's... getting a lot of water even in the supply tank. That's too often. Now, I, I think you may need an entire clean-out of the air system. I mean, we might be getting a lot of dirt, oil, moisture, everything. You might want, to, might want to take, you know, instead of just trying to use the valves to drain the storage tanks, you might want to take the valves out of the storage tanks and inspect them and see what you've got inside. Okay. And I've heard such as the, the, what is it, the unloader valves and a purge valve on the dryer. Yeah, well, there, How people use... is that cause for doing this? It, that can be the problem. That's what I say. you got to kind of start at the beginning. So just so we know, people use like at least three different terms. I've heard spitter valve, unloader valve, purge valve. They're all the same thing. Okay, the, the, the what I understand is the purge valve is on the air dryer, and that's what's making the sound and, and right. spitting out the impurities in the water, and then the unloader valve is on the top end of the compressor. Okay, so... And I guess that can be worn out or the O-ring screwed up or whatever. Yeah, almost every time I deal with this, it... it it's one of those problems that has multiple issues that can cause it, and it seems like it's a different one every time we talk about it. So when it becomes a problem like this, I tell people, let's just start at the beginning. Go through the entire air system. 
cl- open up the valves on the tanks, literally um, get inside, look at them, see if we've got a lot of water, dirt, oil, that kind of stuff, clean out the system, and then start at the compressor and, and inspect all of those parts. Let's go to Tennessee. Alberto, welcome to the program. Hey there. I was just wondering, uh, how do you go about cleaning the Dorothy once it's, once it's full? Oh, and about every thirty to 40,000 miles, there's a clamp you take off. It's a, a 716th nut. You need a 716th deep well, 3H drive socket. And just take the clamp loose and take the bottom cap off and go over the garbage can and dump it out. Uh, a lot of the EGR soot that we're getting out. Uh, sometimes you'll have to put some solvent in if yours is is wet and damp. Most of the time it's very dry and you just dump it. Okay, perfect. And push Thank the you. Put the canister back up and uh, put the clamp back on and away you go. You have about five minutes in Good. doing it. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. That was a nice easy one. Uh, let's go to... Minnesota, Dwayne, it's your turn. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks. I just wanted to comment on the guy that wanted the 579 glider kit. Uh, we've bought several of them, and we just order them from Fitzgerald. They'll order them from the factory, and they'll drop ship them anywhere you want them and have them put together where you want. They don't have to be put together down there. Oh, perfect. That's, uh, that's good. Yeah, Yeah, that's good to know. How how have yours? I don't want any more of their engines either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how have how have your five seventy nines been doing? You happy with them? Wonderful. Excellent. Good. Wonderful. We have two of them, and they're great. Good. Glad to hear it. Well, thanks for the heads up on that. Yep. All right. Take care. Let's uh, let's see. We uh, boy, we just lost a ton of call. Oh, there's one. They're starting to come back. We've been having some uh, phone issues. I think it's internet on our end again after the fires. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. After running down my ISX on Sunday, Monday morning, it didn't want to go. <laughs> oh boy! I parked in a rest area on Sunday night. Yeah. Yeah, parked in a rest area Sunday night, Monday morning, did my pre-trip, turned the key, and it, it sounded like it was starving for fuel. And uh, so I hopped out and, you know, key on, I could hear the electric pump pumping. And so, okay, we, we got fuel. And it would fire, but it wouldn't keep running. And then it got to the point, I guess it burnt that fuel or whatever, and it wouldn't fire at all. So the, the mechanic guy came out. And he plugged his computer and he says, oh, you got a couple of codes. I said, yeah, one's for electrical short in the dash somewhere and another one for after treatment. And he said, yeah, that's right. And I said, yeah, they've been there forever. And he said, well, neither of them should stop it from cranking over. And he said, but I'll clear them out and see what happens. He cleared them out, turned the key, and it started just good as normal. Yeah. Uh, I know I have to go back to Pittsburgh. So. Okay. Make, make sure you pass that on to Ethan, but he, he can hear you, so. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. see, th- see that's but what happens when you. I'll do my freight, my freight on thing. That's what happens when you talk bad about it on the radio. 
I know. Yeah, the, the Cummins gods was looking down at That's me. That's right. That's right. They li- <laughs> they listen to my show, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, they've heard the complaints. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They know. All right. We're uh, we're going to try to squeeze in another one. Let's go to Oklahoma. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Um, I talked to Bruce uh, late spring, early summer, uh, about doing a remote tune on a Mercedes engine. And at the time, he couldn't; uh, they could not do it. They didn't have the specs or whatever. I was just wondering um, if they could do it now or if they know any, anything more about a Mercedes engine. Nope. We do not have any specs, any way to get into the ECM on the Mercedes engine. Um, the foreign people are tough to get programs out of, such as Volvo, Mercedes, the Packard engine. Even the engineers at Peterbilt can't seem to get the programs out of the Packard engine. Where's it based on? Based out of the Netherlands. It's hard to get those uh, foreign people to give the U.S. people information, passcodes and Ways to get through the, all the gates. And... I know, Kevin, this is not your favorite engine, and everybody started giving me a complex on this engine, but it seems to, I had it for two years now, and I've uh, put over 200,000 miles, and it's, it still seems to run pretty good, but it just seems to have a little lack of horsepower. Yeah. Hey, so, and, uh, yeah. You have, is it an EGR? Go ahead, Is it Bruce. an EGR engine? Yes, it's a 2006, yes. Okay, we can do a, a manifold for you, a ported and ceramic-coated manifold, and I think that'll gain you uh, 45 or 50 horsepower. Okay. The stock manifold on that is extremely restrictive. They're, they're running cylinders number 4, 5, and 6 through a hole that's a little bit larger than the size of a quarter. Oh. The reason for that is they want to make back pressure in the engine to force it through the EGR system. So your front three cylinders run with the, with good exhaust flow. The back three are choked. That's going to do it. There's the music. They're going to make me get out of here, so we will see you next time. Thanks to the guys at Pittsburgh Power. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Kevin Rutherford.